they're hot on their, their wheels are churning and turning after God's people. Leaving out of Egypt some one and a half to two million strong. That's a lot of people. Notice what it says. Moses is crying out to God for help and hope and encouragement. God answers him. The Lord said unto Moses, Why for Christ thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Say that with me, that they go forward. There's a time to hush and move on. There's a time to dry them up and move on. There's the time to unplug emotionally and get your devotion in line and move on. Notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 6. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. They had stayed long enough in a place and God said it's time to hush. There's a time when you need to pray but there's a time when you need to move. He said you've been long enough now. You've dwelt on this long enough. You've stayed in this place long enough. It's time to move. Look at 2, 2 and 3. Deuteronomy 2, 2 and 3. And the Lord spake unto me, Moses said, you have compassed this mountain long enough Turn you northward. You have been in this state. You have been in this status. You have been in this mode long enough. It's time to get something done now. How many of you are glad that God listens to prayer? How many of you are glad that God hears your cries? The master hears it when you cry. How many of you believe that there's a time when crying is in order, but that there's also a time when drying them up and moving on is in order? Sometimes you just got to wipe your eyes and get over what's passed by you. You've got to decide that I'm not going to let this eat me up. I'm not, I'm not, I've decided I'm not going to let this take me out. I'm not going to let this thing erode me, I'm not going to let this thing buffalo me, I'm not going to let this thing do me in, I am going to stand up flat footed, dry my eyes and move on. We're going to preach on this subject for just a moment, directions on moving forward, directions on moving forward. We're going to pray now and ask the Lord's help and ask the Lord's strength. Father, I need your divine intervention. I, 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 I don't need your blessing. I need your presence. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't need now a hand-me-down blessing. I don't need now uh, uh, just, just any kind of touch. I need a divine intervention, a divine established touch on my life to where I can help somebody for this may be the last time I ever preach. This may be the last time I ever open the Bible. This may be the last time my voice ever echoes through this building. I do not know what tonight holds. I do not know what tomorrow holds. But I do know this. I know that you want to teach this crowd something tonight. 
And if we, I want you to help us learn it like it was the last teaching was ever going to get. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Every one of us have spent our time crying. Every one of us has spent our time weeping. How many of you have ever had a broken-hearted set of circumstances cause your eyes to swell shut, to cause your heart to be so heavy? You don't think you're ever going to be able to move again. There's a lot of us here who have been through some deep and some terrible times. A lot of us here have been through some treacherous emotional struggles. Uh, Brother Charles and Joyce sits back in and hears me preach every week. They've been faithful for years and years and years. I stood with them when their 11-year-old girl got cancer and went through all the treatments and went through all the difficulties and went through all the problems of that sickness. I've never seen anything take the life out of somebody so quickly as leukemia and cancer can but I remember so vividly going through that situation with them. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's been others I could go through here. Uh, how tragic it is. Some things have happened to some of us like they have. But there's just a time when you're going to go through the weeping. You can't help it. There's going to be a time when you're going to go through the heaviness. You can't do anything about it. There's going to be a time when you can't explain. What's wrong with you? I can't even tell you. Have you ever been there to where you couldn't even explain or express what you was going through, but you knew that it was about to take you out? And all of a sudden, there comes a breakthrough. All of a sudden, you're reading the Bible, or all of a sudden, you're in a church service just like this one. And God gives you some stamina. God gives you a backbone that just stands straight up and says, I'm tired of weeping. I'm tired of squalling. I'm tired of the dismay. I'm tired of the depression. I'm tired of the medication. I'm tired of the situation. I am going to see what God can do for me beyond this situation and beyond my circumstances. I am going to believe God to work a miracle in my heart and in my life, God being my help. Somebody give the Lord a praise for that. Have you ever been that discouraged? Have you ever been to that place? Have you ever been to that difficulty in those circumstances? Well, every one of us can look at what God said here in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. That will be the contextual study tonight. And we're going to look at three statements that will help us learn how to deal with our moving on. Thank God for weeping. Thank God for remorse. Thank God for tears. I'm glad people can still. I, I, I enjoy watching people have a weeping session every once in a while just to prove to me that people can still do it because there are some hard-hearted Baptists that never have cried over nothing. But I'm glad for that weeping time. 
I'm glad for the circumstances that cause weeping because God knows what he's doing and he never lets anything happen to us that he doesn't have substantial reasoning. And the Bible teaches us that now it's time to move on. But what do we need to move on? What do we need to know about moving forward? What do we need to know about moving on? We can't stay here and weep the rest of our life. We can't, some people try. We can't stay here and squall all of our life. We can't stay here and be reminded all of our life. I was in a home recently of a pastor. I love him to death. He and his wife are good friends to me, have been for over 25 years. I love and appreciate these people more than probably they'll ever know. I buried their 18-year-old son years ago with Hodgkin's disease. He died with a cancer that was absolutely difficult to handle and difficult for them to try to bear. He went through it all just like some of you have and only to have this 18-year-old boy who was a football player who was strong and robust just had it eat him down to nothing. And he died. And his room is a mausoleum. His room is a shrine. Every clock is still at the same time. The bed is still made pulled back just like the day he died. His jacket from high school football lettering is hanging on the wall. I can see it when I'm telling it to you. And it is just exactly like it was the day he died and he's been dead 15 years easy. Every time I go in that house, I have to go back there in that part of the, uh, that part of the house and look at it. Every time I go there, it's talked about. Every time I go there, it's brought up. Less and less with details now, but still, they're locked in a moment. They're locked in a set of circumstances. And the last time I was there, which wasn't long ago, I preach over there every year. I was there just recently, and I didn't get to spend but just a little time there. And we went back to the hallway and just looked in, and we had a word of prayer together with them, just like we always do. And, and, and I, I thought, how many church members are like this? They can't move on because they keep the shrine close by. There's locks on the door. And the only way you're getting in there is to be let in. All of that stuff is in there. And so, and to even smells old. You can't have a place where nobody lives. And expect anything else. And I thought, how many people are living in that divorce? They've got a locked door, they've got a locked closet, and they're living in that divorce. How many people are living with that child's death, like this couple, whom I love and appreciate tremendously? Every 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 one of these situations are locked in. Who's locked in? To that death. Who's locked into that funeral service and still has the little printout where the activities of the service was, and that was 27, 28 years ago? Still locked in. We haven't moved on with any clarity 
because we're still locked up in a portion of our life. Now, God sometimes gets tired of our weeping, tired of our, and, and, and weary of our crying, and you know this word squalling, and he wants us to step out of our memorable experience and out of our set of circumstances and move forward to where he has the next blessing. Now, if you're you're hung up and you're strung out over what went on, you need to get happy about what can go on. God has great blessings for you up here, but you'll never find them bragging on what's back here. And it's not a brag as much as it is a tag on you that is causing you to stay in a place of disappointment. Now, three, three statements. Let me make one for you. Number one, your enemy will bring you to your miracle. Your enemy will bring you to your miracle. Look with me, if you will, please, at verses 15 or verses 5 to 12. It was told that the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? Uh, That we have let Israel go from serving us. Why did we turn them loose? Verse 6. And he made ready his chariot, this is Pharaoh, and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots. Can you hear them? Can you see them coming down the dusty roadside? And all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. Now, why did God harden his heart? Why didn't God stop this crowd from going after him? Why didn't God stop this Egyptian army? Why didn't he fix the enemy of the Lord's people? Well, he had a reason. The Lord hardened their hearts, and he, they pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Verse number 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen, his army, overtook them encamped by the sea beside God only knows where and God only cares about that next place. Verse 10. I wouldn't want to go there on vacation. Can I get a a witness? Verse 10. I would try to say them, but when I did to Diane, it was almost cussing, so I'm going to move on. I don't want to disappoint you. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were so afraid, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Verse number 11, they said unto Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in this wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? What did you bring us out of Egypt into this wilderness to die for Verse 12, is not this the word that we tell, we did tell thee in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we shall die in the wilderness. Verse 13, is that the, 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 the last verse is verse, verse number 12. Their enemy becomes a magnetic pull to uh, their, their miracle. 
their enemy becomes a magnetic tool in God's hand to pull that enemy out there where God can deal with them. Every one of us would stay where we, they wanted to stay in Egypt. They wanted to stay plugged in in Egypt. They wanted to stay where it was easy. They wanted to stay where it was comfortable. God said, no, I'll make these people hardened against you. I'll get them to turn you loose, and then I'm going to loose them to try to turn you. I'm going to do everything I can to draw them. And so he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, is that's another way to say he was mad as the devil. He gets all these chariots, fills them up with all these captains and all these military men, and they start after Egypt, or, or after Israel. And Israel is drawn down to the Red Sea, and Israel is encamped around about at the Red Sea, mountains on one side, mountains on the other, uh, Pharaoh behind them, and the Red Sea in front of them. And all of a sudden, here comes the devil. I heard one man preach on uh, this scripture, and he preached on between the devil and the deep blue sea. That's exactly where they were. Mountains on both sides, uh, enemies on both fronts. And the scripture says that Pharaoh thought he had it. So listen to me. God will let your enemy bring you to your miracle. God will use your enemy to bring you to your miracle. God will let you see his hand. He'll let you see his power. He'll let you see his grace. He'll let you see his divinity. He'll let you see his capability. But sometimes you won't see it in ease. You won't see it in comfort. I won't see it easily uh, on the couches of ease or in ivory palaces. God will bring us into a struggle only to see our enemy drive us to where God can deliver us. Oh, my soul. I look at the hardness of the heart and I look at the difficulties that's going on with Israel in this story and I see the Lord driving them to a place they wouldn't go so he could deliver them from a situation they couldn't get out of. Isn't the Lord good? You know, we look around at our promised land. This, this place here to me is my earthly promised land. I look around at the place where God speaks to me more often than not. And I look around at people in here whom God has saved. And I look around in here that people that God has rescued. I look around in here and see people that have been blessed of God so good. But most every one of us came here with a struggle. And our struggle drove us here. Our struggle moved us to this place. Our struggle brought us here. A struggle started this place. I was, I was in another situation across the river. Most of you have heard the story at Broad Street Baptist Church, a convention work that was absolutely out of my league, completely out of my capability and my gifts. I went there hoping I could help and hoping I could preach and hoping I could build a church with God's help. I went there with great aspirations. Diane and I went there with great thought. We went there with great fervor. And we just knew that God was going to do it for us there. But, but, but God drove us from that place. God moved us from that place with a high hand. He moved us out of that situation and I did not know what it was. I went 11 weeks without a job. 11 weeks without anything. I thought I was going to be foodless. I thought I was going to be homeless before it was over. 
I went 11 weeks laying on my face saying, oh God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I didn't know then what I know now, but I can look back. He had all of this planned. He had all of this in hand. He had all of this drawn up. He had all of this diagram. 38 years ago, when God moved and God strengthened and God blessed, aren't you glad that God will unplug you from one place and drive you to another so that he can let you see your miracle? God has a miracle for you, but you're not going to see it in Egypt. You're not going to see it in Egypt. God took them to Egypt to bring them to the Red Sea so that they could see his high hand of glory. Let me ask you a question in that first one. Are you struggling against an enemy? Are you struggling tonight against the enemy of your own conscience? Are you struggling tonight with the enemy of your own decisions? Are you struggling tonight with an enemy that is a personality outside of you that is coming against you? Listen to me real good. Your enemy will bring you to your miracle. Your miracle is in God. Your enemy is in the world. But God will use your enemy that's in the world to bring you to your miracle that's in his God-given design for you. Give him praise in the house of God if you believe that. Now here's here's, here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's the application. If you don't have any real challenges in your life, if you don't have any real enemies come against you, and if you don't have any outbreaks, any outbreaks of critics and struggles, you're never going to see the Red Sea part. You've got to be driven. You've got to be movable. You can't stay back here where it's comfortable. You can't stay back here where memories are wonderful. You can't stay back here where everything is good. You can't stay back here where everything's folded. You can't stay back here where everything looks seemingly okay. God wants you to move forward. You've been here long enough, he said. It's time to, to hush your crying. It's time to dry your eyes and move forward. But preacher, how am I going to do that? God will use an enemy to drive you into the divine purpose and divine place so that God can show you a divine miracle. Am I right about that? Second statement. Not only your enemy will bring you to your miracle, but your cries can weary God. God, I said your cries can weary God. Notice what he said. The Lord said unto Moses, Why for or wherefore cries that of me? In other words, if I was writing a pocket paraphrase, which I'm not and don't encourage you to do so, but if I was paraphrasing this, Moses said, God said to Moses, Why are you standing here belly aching to me and talking to me and even crying and even praying to me? He says, wherefore Christ thou? Speak. It's time to hush. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. It's time for you to do some talking. It's time for you to do some leading. It's time for you to do some superintending. It's time for you to do and be an example. Stand up. Stand up. 
Stand up. Wipe your eyes. Wipe your tears. Hush your squalling. And stand up and move forward. Forward's not backwards. Forward is forward. Leave backwards alone and move where God wants you to be. I said, your cries can weary God. Have you ever thought about it? About a month ago, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. I was awakened with a thought on my mind that was agonizing. I was, I'm thoroughly convinced I was awakened by the darkness. How many of you believe Satan reigns in the domain of the night? He loves to operate in the dark. This has happened several times to me in the last little while, but this time was memorable. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning, pitch dark in the room. My eyes opened up no matter, no matter what I would have taken, no matter what sedative I would have had, it would not have helped. My eyes came open and fear gripped me. I mean a fear that was agonizing. I'm talking about a fear that brought anxiety and, 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 and fearfulness and afraid at one time. You say, why? Why is not important. The, the, the problem is this. It'll happen to you and you don't know why. He'll come where you are. And do everything he can to paralyze you. I got out of the bed and I sat in a little corner where I sat with a small lamp on so she wouldn't wake up. And I sat there and I just broke out squalling. I just started crying. Several things were on my mind. Several people were going through the cobwebs of my mind. Several circumstances and situations were, were, were clouding the issue. And have you ever been to the place where all you could do is squall? Lo and behold, the next night, it was an hour later, about four o'clock. The next night, it was in between the two. This went on for almost two weeks. Just caught, couldn't rest, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't go to sleep, could, just could not. And every time I would wake up, bam! It was like my fear had legs and it stood by the bed. Afraid. Fearful in the dark. I got to where I was scared to go to sleep because I thought I was going to wake up with fear standing by the bed again. Just weeping. Just crying. Crying for people. Crying for a person. Crying for a situation. Weeping over circumstances out of your control, but out of control, period. And you don't know what to do. One morning, the same thing happened, but it was not as strong. I was able to collect my thoughts. I was able to collect my emotions for a moment. I went over and sat down, and I was reading the scripture, and God gave me a thought. God gave me a, a word. Hallelujah. God gave me a revelation. God showed me something that was just for me at the time. It fit so perfect. I, I can't even share it with you because it wouldn't make any sense with you. But it just, just was for me. Just was for me. And I sat there and began to, 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 to collect myself. 
And the Lord said, why are you afraid? And why are you letting Satan rule this situation? Why are you so small in this set of circumstances? Why are you sitting there weeping? Why are you not rejoicing that you can't go to hell? Why are you not rejoicing in the fact that I'm Lord and master of your life? Why are you afraid? Why are you crying unto me? And I said, I guess I'm just a baby. I guess I'm just weak. I guess I just need you. And I guess I want you to help me. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, stop crying. You will fear no evil. You will not fear any longer. You will not let this demonic atmosphere be in this house again. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I want you to speak to it. I want you to command it. I want you to move on it. I want you to stand against it. And I want you to know that I'm going to be right with you. I'll stand with you and by you. And I will make sure that when it's all said and done, I will be here for you. But I'm not going to do it with you crying. Because your weeping is being misinterpreted to Satan as his, your vulnerability to his attacks. Stop the weeping. God let me dry it up. I began to pray then. You know, there's a time when just weeping is what you do. But then there's a time to shut it down. And there's a time to open up that book. And there's a time to feed. You cannot feed your spirit while you are squalling. You cannot feed your spiritual man while you are weeping. Because while you are weeping, you are concerned about you. Think about it. When you cry, you're releasing your heartache and your trouble. That's why some of you can't get rid of some things. You haven't learned to weep through them. But once you weep through them, you've got to stand for God's glory. And you've got to just drive your eyes and understand I am not going to weary God any longer with my tears. I'm going to start rejoicing in him because of his goodness to me. And to praise God, he brought me out of it. Give the Lord praise. And glory. Sometimes your cries can weary God. What are you telling me, preacher? God gets tired of watching you squall. Now, he'll put up with it as long as he determines it. He will deal with it as long as it's fruitful. But he will not let it continue when it's becoming a habit. Because sympathy is sought through tears. The flesh is fed through tears. And difficulty comes because of tears and tears come because of difficulty. But notice what the Lord said to Moses. Why are you crying to me? You can't do anything about that husband that left. You can't do anything about the way he treats the kids. You've cried for years and you've tried for years. And it hasn't changed. God's saying tonight, why are you crying and weeping over a set of circumstances out of your control? He said, I want you to move forward. I want you to get up from where you are and I want you to tackle the future. 
I want you, there is a promised land on the other side of this Red Sea. And I want you to go where grapefruits are that big and grapes are that big. I want you to move where oranges peel themselves. I want you to go where limes grow. I want you to go where great and wonderful fruit is. I want you to move across this sea and watch what I can do for you. But you'll never go where God has abundance for you as long as you're standing over here weeping about a chamber that you've learned to live in because you're afraid to move on. Amen? Number three. Here's the third one. Your possession you hold holds your deliverance. Whatever you have in your hand or in your heart is the possession you hold that God will use to deliver you. Notice what it says. But lift thou up thy rod. Who gave Moses that rod? God did. God put it in his hand. And guess what? He's put something in your heart called faith. He's put something in your heart called stick to itness. He's put something in your hand called a Bible. He's put some fortitude in your soul. He has put some strength in your backbone. It's high time some of us stopped our weeping, me included. Stopped our squalling, me included. Stopped our, our, our self-pity, me included. And stand up and decide for the glory of God. I'll move toward my future. I'll move forward toward what God has for me. I will leave this death chamber. I will leave this mockery. I will leave this past. I will leave these words. And I'll move forward where God has abundance for me. Hallelujah. Somebody give him glory for deliverance. Ain't nothing I can do about what other people do except wake up in the middle of the night and feel afraid for what's going to happen to them. A preacher ought to love his people. But a preacher don't need to kill himself worrying about what he can't control. Can I get a witness? You young, young boys, I'm finished. You young fellows that are in the Bible school. Oh my. I told them the other night in class. We are 20 years from a godless, savage generation. We are 20 years. I'm 65. We'll be 66 in September. I don't have enough years probably left to see what these boys are going to face. These guys are 25 and 30 and 35 years old. They'll be 55 or 60 uh, when, when, when... A Bible is going to be scoffed at like a novel. Music will be so wild that discotheques will make them look like Sunday school classes. Churches will be so cold and so dead that probably they won't even be open in most places. Most of the places, most of the places I preach that I have on my schedule have nothing but senior citizens in them, nothing but gray-haired people. The young people have left. Why? Because nothing is burning in the fireplace. They don't know what to do with the light that they have. And so they just quit church or they go to some offshoot or some off-brand where there's no theology and no doctrine and no real truth. And they just bounce around like a spiritual ball and they see nothing. 
ladies and gentlemen, we're 20 years from a godless, savage generation. My grandbabies over here are going to be right in the middle of it. Stay close, Austin, to this place. Jared, stay close no matter what happens at your house. Stay close to God. Stay close to the Word of God. And stay close, boys, to your teaching and your raising. Know that God hasn't got you sitting on that seat tonight so you can waste time. But he's got there to you there to let you know you can move with God. Go forward with God and move toward God. And have God move towards you in the power of God. And it don't have to be that way in your individual life. Hallelujah. I said, your possession you hold, holds your deliverance. What have you got in your hand? A staff. He just holds it up and displays what God gave him. And all of a sudden, heaven breaks loose. Water walls up on this side, water walls up on that side. Somebody says, it was about two foot of water and there were stumps where they went across. That's the most lame explanation I've ever heard. How would three million people not wear them stumps out before the other half got over? And the, the Bible says they went across on dry ground. Just dry ground. Wall water on this side. Wall water on this side. They walked through. And right when the first Egyptian chariot gets right in the middle of it, all of a sudden, God says, collapse. And every rider of every horse and every controller of every chariot, every captain was dead in the water. They were floating memories of an Egyptian army that God killed. But where was that million and a half to two million Jews standing on the other side saying, Golly. And the Bible says they praised the Lord and Moses. That same bunch said, you took us out here to kill us, was the same bunch that said, golly, aren't you glad that God has put within our hands the possession to see God move us to our future? You have a hold on God, God's got a hold on you. You say, preacher, do you think God may come in the next 20 years? Yes. The only hope for him to find faith on the earth is to come quickly. Because we're living in a generation headed toward godless. But I'm glad to know I have a hope. And that hope is in my future. My future is in my Lord. And my Lord is coming with my future. Give him praise and glory if you believe that. You're dismissed. Thank you.